So, I get the privilege tonight of welcoming um, somebody very dear to me who's going to speak, Christina Theodosiatis. Let's welcome her. It's lots of you. Hello. <laughs> Let me just organise myself. Um, well, you know the, those few tags right at the end that um, that Daryl was, um, you know, singing, are pretty much my preach. So, this is going to be good for you. <laughs> Heaven is behind me. Yay. All right. Okay. Um, I'm just gonna jump straight in because I've got a lot to say and I don't have the time to match, so I'm just gonna <laughs> jump straight in. Um, and what, I'm actually really excited about what I'm sharing tonight, not only because God has confirmed over and over again that I'm supposed to be saying it, but um, it's, it's actually a passion of mine to equip people. Like it's, it actually really, like it's my jam. Um, but most of all, I love doing it through exposing the strategies of the enemy. That is one of my favourite things to do because when you expose the enemy's strategies, it does a couple of things. It actually breaks it down for people so they know what they're dealing with. And the other thing is, it actually reveals the character and nature of God. See, the enemy hasn't quite worked this out yet that you know the, 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 every single one of his methods, all of his tools, all of his traits actually causes God to raise up a standard. And when that happens, his, his character and nature is revealed. So I, I love this stuff. All right, so I'm gonna jump straight in. All right, so um, the way that I read the Bible now has changed to how you know I, I grew up reading the Bible. I read it in many different ways, but when I want to actually read, read, like not just you know meditate on a scripture or use it in, in what, for whatever, in whatever context I'm praying for something, um, I started to read the Bible like a playbook. And I've said this before, I don't, use, I, don't re- I don't read the Old Testament as a historical book, I use it as a playbook. So I started to break down each book of the Bible. I actually went to Officeworks and I bought lots of those small A5 exercise books. And I began to, um, so each book, each exercise book, um, I would, would be, um, you know, uh, assigned to a book of the Bible. And then I would just read that particular book of the Bible and paraphrase each chapter in my own words and bullet point. So I had an overview of what happened in that chapter of that book, right? And, um, you know, in recent months, my routine has been disrupted. I've had big things happen in my life. I've had small things happen in my life. Things that, you know, just disturb the force. Kind of, so um, I I recently got back into that particular part of my routine, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to go see where I left off. And um, the last book that I had started to work on was the book of um, the first book of Samuel, and I was like, okay, it's like all right. Um, so thinking that it was just going to be another routine kind of study time for me, I looked at the, the the last verse that I was actually in 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 the, in the book of Samuel, and it was at the end of chapter ten. And as I read the last, as I reread the last verse that I was in, the Lord speaks to me. And I've learnt by now, I've learnt to recognise when the Lord is speaking to me about a word in season. It feels different. He speaks to us all the time in, in lots of different ways and for lots of different reasons, but I've learnt to recognise um, 
when, when he's actually on something now. Um, and so I'm reading this verse and I'm like, oh, you know, you're, 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 you're on this. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll quickly, I'll do a quick recap of chapter 10 if you guys haven't read 1 Samuel chapter 10 recently. It's gonna be super quick, it's on turbo. Um, so basically, Saul's dad loses his donkeys and Saul goes out to look for his donkeys and, and he hears that there's a seer, prophet named Samuel and if they want help, this is a really good place to start. Samuel already knows that Saul's coming because God tells him and then, you know, Saul is, well, at the time in Israel, they're demanding a king. They don't want God to rule and reign over them. They want a king. And, you know, so Samuel is uh, waiting for Saul to come and Saul's got no idea what's about to happen. So uh, Samuel drops an epic tease, kind of gives him a prophetic word, but kind of doesn't and kind of hints that he's going to be the commander of the Lord's inheritance and then the conversation finishes like, Okay, um, and, then, um, and then he basically says to Saul, he goes, listen, you know, the, this, is, this is where your donkeys are. This, this is where you're gonna go. Outlines the next week for him. This is where you're gonna go. This is who you're gonna see. This is what they're gonna say to you. And at the end of it all, you're gonna go to this place and you're gonna wait for me there and I'm gonna come. That was it. Just crazy, prophetic, you know, just bang, 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 bang. Um, and then at the end of chapter 10 is when Samuel arrives at the place where Saul has been told to wait. Um, yes. All right, so I'm gonna read to you the, the portion of Scripture that, um, that I just felt, you know, the Holy Spirit really breathe on. So we can go to 1 Samuel chapter 10, 25 to 27. Yep. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his own house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, 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 Gibeah. <laughs> I've gone through all the options, all right. It's Gibeah, tonight it's Gibeah. And valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Okay, now I'm gonna unpack that obviously. So I'm just, I'm rushing now, right? So. So I got, I got really stuck there. Like I actually didn't, I actually couldn't move on. I was like, you're breathing on this. What are you saying? And then I spend, you know, over the next couple of days, I spend some time, you know, when I'm spending time with the Lord in worship and I'm just praying, as I'm doing, you know, my lap work around my lounge room, He speaks to me so clearly, it was almost audible. And He says to me, my love permeates. And again, it carried the same fragrance. It carried the same substance that I knew that it was a word in season for now. So I, I go back to my desk, I sit at, you know, open my Bible and I'm, I go back to this to make sure that I'm still feeling the same fragrance, the same substance, the same weight on that, on that portion of Scripture. And, and I do. And I was like, now you've started two conversations and I don't understand what you're saying about either of them. So, I mean, it's, I mean we, if I said to you, his love permeates, you know what that means. But to get up here and to say something about it, you have to really understand what he's saying, right? So um, I did what every good person does and I pulled out Google and I was like, all right, what are you saying? What, what, you know, what, what is in the meaning of what you're saying? And the word um, permeate obviously means to spread throughout and to pervade. And to pervade means to spread through and be perceived in every part and to be present and apparent throughout. So when I look at the biblical equivalent of that, I'm like, that's leaven. So, all right, 
So I went back to 1 Samuel and I'm reading that portion of Scripture again. And I said, listen, you have to be super clear because if you're not on this, I can then go now study 11. And he just said to me, keep reading. I was like, all right. So um, I continue on. Uh, so, yo, you can put it up. Yeah, did I give it to you? Yes, yep, put it up. So 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse one. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, on this condition I will make a covenant with you that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all of Israel. Right, I know, I get all the juicy ones. All right, Um, we'll just leave it there for now. Now, when I got to this part, I mean, I have a lot to say about this bit of scripture here, but I'm just gonna wait. So I wanna quickly just give you this one. I just wanna wrap up the story of where he took me to. So basically there's this, you know, little interaction here. Well, it wasn't little, it was a, this interaction here. Then um, the men of Jabesh kind of flip out and they go, just wait, just wait, right? Because first they said, make a covenant with us and then, you know, and we'll serve you. And then when they find out they're gonna lose their right eyeball, they go, just give us seven days. We're just gonna go and talk to the people. And if we can't get help, then, you know, we'll go from there. Then the word spreads throughout Israel that this is what's happening. And it says, all of the people lifted their heads and wept. And so they were pretty stressed out. Um, and then Saul hears about it. He's coming off, he must've been working in the field. He hears about it and he's like, why is everyone freaking out? Um, and then when he hears the, the news, it says that the Spirit of God came upon him or came upon Saul when he heard the news and his anger was greatly aroused. Now, just take you through to the end of the story. Um, so what he does then is he gets a couple of oxen, he butchers them into pieces, sends them throughout the land of Israel with a message that says, for everyone who doesn't come with Saul and Samuel against the Ammonites, this is what's gonna happen to your oxen. Then all of a sudden, they all find motivation. The fear of the Lord falls upon them and they all go out and Saul leads them. I don't, I'm not gonna call it a battle because I think he caught them off guard from memory. Um, he catches them off guard and he totally annihilates the, the enemy camp. So much so that it says in verse 11, and it happened that those who survived, the Ammonites, those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. So that gives you a picture of what it would have looked like that day. All right, so when I got to this bit, so when I got, you know what? I have to tell you a funny story. This is, every time I go, I have run through this so many times and every single time like this comes into my head, so I have to say, is my brother David here? No, very good, very good. All right, (laughs) it's normally over there. When we were little, um, on our street, there was a pack of kids that lived, a pack of kids, like a pack of wolves, that like, but that's, it's what, that's exactly what it was like, um, lived two or, how, two or three houses away and David left his trike in the front yard um, and they took it. And um, David, we used to watch Popeye a lot. And he discovered that his bike, his little trike thing was up at the top of the street with these kids. So David walks straight out the front yard and he walks up the entire street like this, <laughs> pumping up his, his, his punch. He's walking up like this and we're all like, there's a pack of them. And the little kid that's on the trike waits for David to get right up to him and all, so he's on the trike and all he does is stand up 
and then David turns around and runs home. <laughs> anyway, that's... But you know what? That was more than what these people did. They just went out and said, oh, make a covenant with us. Anyway, all right, okay, going back. I had to get this, otherwise it would have cycled through my head. All right, okay. All right, okay. So I saw that what the Lord was doing is that He was drawing a direct parallel to the inner world and, and, and what's relevant in our lives today from this story. And we've been talking about the inner world recently. Um, so I wanna now break down that, that um, yes, hold on, let me just see how am I going. Oh, amazing, all right. Um, all right, so I went back and I, and I read through it. And I'll read it quickly. You don't have to put it up, but you can if you want. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his own house. So the people had been demanding a king. Samuel then, he warns them about the king, as in what, what that's actually gonna mean for them. Then he gets obviously prophetic unction and he writes down all that, um, that comes with royalty, the, what their metron is, what their responsibilities, um, you know, what, their, what, their, what their rights are, what they're entitled to, um, to, to, to govern the people. Lays it up before them and then every man went back to his own house. Um, and it's then when it, when it then makes a distinction between valiant men that went with Saul and rebels who basically rejected what God had appointed and they despised him. And when I got to this part, I was like, is this not the age old battle of mankind? That we want what we want, we ask for things, we, 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 we want to govern and rule ourselves, which is partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then when we actually suffer the consequences of that, we look for somebody to blame. Yeah, it does, it happens, yes. All right, okay. Now, I'm gonna make now the distinction well, I'm gonna share with you the distinction that the Lord makes between the valiant men and um, the rebels, which in the King James Version is actually sons or children of Belial, okay? So in verse 26, where it says, and Saul um, also went home and the valiant men went with him. The word valiant there actually describes, it's actually a force, it's talking about a force. Now, whether it's of men or wealth or it's a resource, it's describing a resource. And in, throughout the Old Testament, it's been used in the context to describe, you know, um, an army, wealth, a host, substance, strength, power, ability. Okay, so these are all good things. Now, so in the context of this Scripture, God is using it to describe a heart posture of those men. Okay? Um, because it says here, whose hearts God had touched. So God wasn't being selective that day. It wasn't like, you know, um, gold member, you know, oh, you, you in the back, you can stay. Number two, you know, you. He, well, God didn't do a selection process like this. He actually was only able to choose from the resources that was available to him. That was their heart posture. That word there, valiant men, describes a resource that, that, that is, you know, that wealth, host, substance, strength, power, ability, all of those things, virtue. Right? So people whose hearts were not hardened, people whose hearts were postured in a way that, they, that God was able to pull on them as a resource. Now, the root word of that word force, which I found very interesting. The root word of the word force, um, I can't pronounce it, but um, means to make, to bear, to tremble, to wait, 
to be wounded, to be in anguish, and to be made to wait patiently. When you look at all, the, all of those um, descriptions there collectively, it speaks of a posture of humility, lowliness, inferiority, and submission. That was the posture of their hearts. That's why they were an available resource to the Lord. And the word touched there is very similar to what pervade and permeate means. The word touched means to plague, to reach, to spread throughout. So it's the same thing. So I began to see the connection he was making. Um, and then straight after that, he, we, we, we get, you know, the, the children of Belial, the rebels. So if we're going to follow suit and take it that scripture in the context in which the Lord's speaking about, again, that's a heart posture. Now, Belial in, in the Old Testament is, is written and presented as a pronoun, not in wokeism, as in it's got a capital letter at the front. I feel like we've forgotten what pronouns mean these days. Um, yeah, so, or maybe you haven't, but anyway. Um, so, it's a pro- so it's actually a name. It's one of the names attributed to the enemy. So just like God's names reveal parts of, you know, facets of, of His nature, this is one of those. So Belial means um, without profit, unworthy, ungodly, and without value. So what we're seeing here in, in contrast to what we just read about valiant men, is the, the children of Belial or rebels is describing a people whose heart posture is bent to building on things that are not profitable, things that have no value, things that are wicked and ungodly. And it, it, it's a part posture that causes us to trade away things that are valuable for things that are detrimental. Because again, is that not the age old reality? So when it, it's a... Rebellion, he said to me, he said, Christina, the root of rebellion is fear of being controlled. And it manifests as pride, but that's actually the root, the motivation of rebellion. And it's a narrative that is riddled with counterfeit reward. I'm gonna say that again. Rebellion is a narrative that is riddled with counterfeit reward. And, you know, he reminded me of um, Eve, you know, when because we see that play out for the first time, where she believed the lie. The lie is, I don't wanna be controlled. The lie is God is holding out on me. God is holding out on me because the enemy says, you will not die. God just doesn't want you to have what He's got. So that's what he was able to hook into. So the, the root of rebellion is a fear of, of, not, of, of, fear of not wanting to be controlled or governed and it manifests as pride, and in this case, despising governance. Okay, then we move on to um, what happened in chapter 11. Sorry, I'm very thirsty. All right. So the enemy comes and encamps around them. If he wanted to take the territory, if he was land hungry, territory hungry, he would have done it, right? But he encamps around them and he intimidates them. And these people, these men come straight out and they say, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. Now back then the word covenant really meant something. It's like these days, you you don't rush to sign a contract. You'd get a lawyer to have a look if you don't understand it. Like we, you actually stop and think about signing a contract. 
So a covenant back then actually meant something. So they come out straight away and, and almost blindly sign their lives away, basically saying, you stipulate the terms and conditions of our, of our covenant and, 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 we'll, and we'll serve you. The word serve actually means, I mean, apart from you know, to be enslaved to, to, to a party. And, and so when they, when, they, sorry, when they came out and they said, make a covenant, we will serve you, that, that was already clear that they, were, they knew they were gonna be the lesser party, okay? So the word serve doesn't only mean to be enslaved, but it means to transgress and it means to be a worshiper. And this is the thing with captivity that a lot of people don't understand is when you yield to captivity and when you bow to that, you are actually bargaining off much more of who you are. The demand on your person is, is greater than what your understanding is at that time. And, and they were willing to do it not only to themselves, but to their children as well and their children's children. <clears throat> and that's exactly what Eve did. Eve made a covenant with death. Because the Lord said, if you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. In the original Hebrew, that's die, die, double death. Oh, I didn't mean for that to be funny, but okay. <laughs> and so that's what she did. She traded out because she believed the lie that God's holding out on you. And she made a covenant with death, not knowing what that was gonna mean for her. Because if she did, I'm sure she would have thought twice. All right, now the Ammonites' response um, to when the Israelites came out and they, and they said what they said, very interesting. The Ammonites' response was, on this condition, I will make a covenant with you that I may put out all of your right eyes and bring reproach on all of Israel. So he, he's not even hiding the fact that he wants to traumatise them. He's actually clearly saying, which I'm gonna break down the words for you, he doesn't just wanna take their territory, he wants to rewrite their identities. Because the word reproach there means to call a name, to, to relabel somebody. It means to mark, the same word that God used when He marked Cain. Obviously that was for His protection. This is very different. It means to charge, reproach means to charge, to determine. So this is putting someone in a very vulnerable position right now and to disguise. So if we have an ear to hear what the Lord is actually saying when He chose to include this in Scripture for us today, we get to see the enemy's plans exposed for what they really are. It's not just about taking territory for him, it's about bringing reproach, perpetuating trauma through taking territory. He wants to establish His mark on us. He wants to preach to us because when you're, when you're called a name, when you're relabeled, when you're marked, when you've got a trauma marker on you, those things are, are a power source and the enemy continues to preach to you from those things or through those things, I should say. So when we bow to His reports, when we bow to His threats, we're actually acquiring a condition, just like the Israelites were about to do. We're acquiring a landing place for, for shame and guilt to be an ongoing cycle and, and preach to us. Now, I'm gonna jump to um, 11 verse six, where it says, then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard the news and his anger was greatly aroused. Now, if, if you guys aren't using the Strong's Concordance when you're reading the Bible, I highly recommend that you do because it just completely changes the way that the verse speaks to you. But the word came there, 
Doesn't mean like a shaft of light, like, ah. It wasn't like that. Or, oh, 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 I feel the Holy Spirit. I feel an unction of the Holy Spirit. My fingers are tingling. Like it, it wasn't, that's not what the word came there means. The word came means to push forward. It means to come mightily. It means to be profitable, to break out and to, and to be made to prosper. All of those things, if we're gonna call it an unction, all of those things carry with it an instant reward, carries with it a verdict. It carries an outcome. That's what it means to have the Spirit of the Lord come upon you. And in Amos, I'm not gonna, I don't have to put this up, but in Amos 5.4, when God talks about, um, you know, if, if, if Israel turned to Him and repent and they don't go to, the, to their, you know, memorials and their sanctuaries, if they don't, then His judgment is gonna come out and devour. I think I got that verse right, but don't, don't, don't read it. It's gonna be okay. All right. It's, it's something was gonna come out and devour and it was the four, it, it, it was that coming out. I'm sure if it was in favour of the Israelites. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, now, so the Spirit of God came on Saul. It came on Saul because there was a landing place because that's why he was described as a valiant man because of the posture of his heart. Okay. So the Spirit of God found a landing place to come on Saul. So when Saul didn't strategize on his own accord, he, he didn't lean on his own understanding. He was able to lead the Israelites before, he wasn't even appointed king at this, anointed, sorry. He wasn't even anointed king at this point. There was no fancy ceremony, that came later. So he, he said the, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he was able to lead his people into victory so much, and the damage was great to the enemy's camp all because the Spirit of God came upon him, right? And it didn't cause him to react and respond like the rest of the Israelites. It didn't cause him to concede defeat. It didn't cause him to be incapacitated, you know, and, and rendered useless in the moment. Sorry, I'm paranoid about the time. Okay, all right. So, and the other thing I wanna mention here, we're not given ratios. In that story, we're not given ratios of the men. It just says that all of the men were there when Samuel announced Saul as, the, as their leader, as their king. It says there were some valiant men and there were some rebels. We're not given the ratios, but it doesn't matter. What it also doesn't tell us is the men of Jabesh, it doesn't say whether, you know, were they mostly the rebels? They definitely weren't the valiant men. So the distinction I wanna make here is that the Spirit of God can only fall on those that have the same heart posture as valiant men, not rebels or those that are impartial. Those that are impartial to outcome, those that are impartial to, to what, what the Lord's wanting to manifest. The Spirit of God can't land on that place. And He said to me, He said, one second. He said to me that the difference between the valiant men and the rebels is value. And he showed me a picture of a value system. Um, and and I'll, I'll just, you know, I'd love to do this with a whiteboard, but it doesn't matter. Um, he said the value system is based on two very different types of fear. The first one being the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord causes us, you know, as we know, to have a posture of humility, a posture of submission, understanding our inferiority to the Lord. Right, and it causes us to build unto the Lord. As opposed to the fear of control or the fear of governance, which is what breeds rebellion, and that's the heart posture, is rebellion, which causes us to build unto self. It's the value system. And the fear of the Lord 
is described as obviously we all know is the awe of God. It's a, it's a reverence, it's a deep respect. <clears throat> and obviously has nothing to do with, it has no, no association, no affiliation with rebellion. And I wanna share with you the first time that the fear of the Lord is mentioned in Scripture is in Genesis 22, 12, when Abraham is asked to sacrifice Isaac. Now, if we're gonna talk about value systems, let's think about this for a second. Abraham valued his son very, very much. He had waited like 100 years literally for him, right? Had waited 100 years for him. And not only that, his entire identity was built on or was hinged off of his son Isaac. How was he gonna be the father of many nations without Isaac growing up to, to continue that? So the Lord asks him to put on the altar something that was not just his something he valued, but it was actually his entire identity. His enti- all of his promises uh, were in that one boy at this point. And because he did so, because he, he was obedient and he, I'm sure he was confused, because he did so, it says that the Lord intervened in that moment and the Lord said, because you have feared me. That's the fear of the Lord. Where is our value system? That's the fear of the Lord. So Abraham was not one to build unto self. Well, he did some things before that, that was building unto self, but I'm not talking about that now. So stick with this. Now, quickly on the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is connected, directly connected to long life. There are so many Scriptures. I haven't got the time to go through them. I'm just gonna read out a couple. But the fear of the Lord is directly connected to long life and salvation. Not the, and I'm talking about salvation when you receive Jesus into your heart. I'm talking about the, the rescuing kind, the kind that delivers people, which is, you know, was in our tags tonight. But just really quickly, I'm gonna machine gun these out now. Um, these are in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Sounds a lot like the difference between valiant men and rebels. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Sounds like the two groups of men. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and His children will have a place of refuge. And my favourite in Psalm, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear Him and delivers them. It's exactly what the enemy tried to, to present in the natural, but that's actually our portion when we have fear of the Lord. That's our right. And another interesting about the fear of the Lord is it's actually what precedes revival because the fear of the Lord is what brings repentance and realignment. And we're not waiting for revival well, I'm not, we're not waiting for revival to come down, down like a box of confetti and it's just gonna land on us if we hit the right pinata. <laughs> revival is, 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 is it not the, the sons of God manifesting the kingdom of heaven through our gates and through our doors? And that can only happen through repentance and realignment. And that can only happen where there is the fear of the Lord. That can only happen when our value system aligns with heavens. Oh, thank you. (laughs) The key here, well, there's a few, but one of the keys here is that both of those fears, the fear of the Lord and the fear of being controlled and the fear of governance, which is rebellion, needs our agreement. 
It's not forced upon us. It needs, it's a choice. It's a posture. It's the heart's posture. The first time, I'm gonna, I just wanna break down one of the fears. The first time that fear, I'm pretty sure this is right, is mentioned in the Bible, the bad kind of fear, is um, when Adam and Eve heard the Lord's voice coming in the garden, they knew they were naked and they hid. So rebellion causes us to hide from God. It's actually, that, that word, what fear actually does is it, and the way that he showed it to me in a vision was, it actually causes a shift in tectonic plates. So we are now, rebellion and fear actually separate us from God, that we are not even on the same land as the Lord, the same floor. It's a, it's a shift in tectonic plates. And the reason why they were afraid Yes, it says that they knew that they were naked, but the root word there for naked means to be made bare, which is exactly the same as, what, as the root word of that word force. To be vulnerable, the one that speaks about the heart posture of humility and lowliness. So one is, I need to hide this from the Lord. And the other one is, I have no, this, this is it. This is who I am. This is exactly how you made me. So one is complete surrender. And the other one is, I will not be controlled. I need to govern myself. Both speak of vulnerability. And you know, you're singing my, tag, my scripture in one of your tags because 1 John 4:18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, I don't need to break down why we need the fear of the Lord. I think I've done that. But the issue of fear, fear is designed to keep love from permeating through us. Remember he said, my love permeates. My love spreads throughout. My love needs to, wants to be perceived and be apparent and present in every single part. That word there, um, to be perfected in love means to, to come to completion, to, for something to be fulfilled, to be consecrated. That's our design. That, that, that's what He had in mind when He, when he made us and, and He put us on the earth. That's what, that's what that, that communion and that intimacy is supposed to achieve. It, that's when it comes into completion and to fulfilment. And the word there, um, cast, like my love, casts out all fear. That's a violent word. And Rachel was um, you know, talking about a, 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 a violence in some of the Scriptures. That, that's one of them. Because that word cast down is, is, it means to strike, to violently cast. It dethrones fear. So you're not, so when, it's not like you're having to weigh both substances. Where His love penetrates, where it's allowed and it's given room to penetrate, it dethrones fear. It casts it out. It doesn't say that you need to do that. It says that where His love penetrates, where it permeates into, it dethrones fear. His love is super proactive. It's aggressive. It's on the offence. It's leaven. So what we need to do is we need to identify 
If we don't feel perfected in love, we need to identify what parts of our heart are a liability to us. Because those people that were so willing to just trade value and, and, and openly walk into the, 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 the jaws of captivity, they were a liability. They were a liability to the children, to, to the territory. We need to figure out what, what we bow to, what fear do we bow to? We need to figure out what part of us, because you know, we don't, when, when we talk about the children of Belial, we talk about rebels, that doesn't have to be all of our hearts. Just like all of us can have a little bit of Esau in us and all of us can have a little bit of Eve in us. So all of us can have a little bit of rebel in us, a little bit of Belial, you know, that's just the way that it is. So we need to figure out what, what is that liability in us? What, what about us allows the enemy to stipulate the, the terms and conditions of our captivity? What part of us so easily comes into agreement with the covenant of death? What part of us chooses to partake of the, knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And for me, as I was unpacking this, I saw that if I see love, not as a substance, but if I see love as a man, it completely shifted and changed my perspective. That if Jesus was nailed on the cross, love was nailed on the cross. If Jesus descended into the depths of the earth to take captivity captive and then ascended on high and gave us that authority, love descended into the depths of the earth, love took captivity captive, love ascended on high and gave us the keys. That is what we're saying yes to. That is what we're allowing to permeate through us. That is the part that sits on the throne. I think sometimes it's easy to separate what the Lord has done and love as in, okay, you're a, you're a man and you love. No, He is love. So why is love so difficult to receive? Now, this I got out of the blue a, a while ago now. I was driving along and... I wasn't even thinking about anything. So it's not like I, I didn't have my antennas up, like it just, I was just driving. And he spoke so clearly. He said to me, he said, do you know why people find it so hard to receive my love? And I know that to not say anything because I don't know why. And I, was just, I knew that he was gonna continue talking. I was like, yes. He said, because my love makes a demand. My love demands a response because where my love penetrates, it actually destroys all insecurity, all doubt, all excuses to not walk out, to, to, to not be who He has called you to be, who He says that you are. It's easier sometimes to bow to the trauma markers. It's easier sometimes to bow to the label and the name that the enemy gives us. Because when we receive His love, it actually leaves us with no option. It actually demands a response. And subconsciously, Sometimes it's a little bit too confronting. So that was pretty much a one John 4 conversation with the Lord back then. It's exactly the same thing. He was saying the exact same thing. He means what He says and He says what He means. And the men of um, Jabesh Gilead, they folded so easily. And, and this, this is my opinion now. I believe that the reason why they were predisposed to doing that is because up until then, 
the people of Israel had gone through cycles of captivity, deliverance, all through the book of Judges, captivity, deliverance, captivity, deliverance, captivity, deliverance, all because of intervention of the Lord, not because they had been transformed as people. So it wasn't a substance or a conviction that they owned. All through the book of Judges, we see that as soon as they were delivered, then they did what was right in their own eyes. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's a posture of rebellion. So that's the way to break the cycle. They didn't wanna be governed. So we do the same today, except our captivity isn't so external, it's more internal. Nahash the Ammonite was the mouthpiece of hell that day. So the enemy was saying it back then and he's saying it today. I will lay it as a reproach on you. I intend to pervert your identity. I want to brand you with a trauma marker. I wanna label you with my own words. I wanna charge you, I wanna commit you. Because he actually uses your brokenness as accusation against you. This is what we're dealing with. I want to commit you. I want to keep you in cycles of shame and all by your own agreement. Whereas the Lord says, I stoop down to make you great. It pleased the Father to crush His Son. That Jesus saw that as joy set before Him because that's what He saw. He saw us on the other side. And that He actually sympathises with us and our weaknesses. But all of these truth bombs need a place to land. We need to make sure that there is not that place of hardness of heart, that humility, lowliness, inferiority in the Lord and submission is the safest and most secure place to be. That's what it means to have the fear of the Lord. I wanna share a dream that um, I've had recently. I'm gonna close on this. Now this dream has many layers and I'm aware of that. And I'm actually working through, um, (laughs) Um, this dream has many layers and um, I'm still unpacking the dream, but, and I had no intention of sharing this dream and and until I got to the end of it and then he reminded me of the dream and I'm like, oh my goodness, this this is pretty much what, what I'm saying. And the dream was this, there was a pelican that was flying in the sky and a rainbow lorikeet was um, flying, so it was mid-flight, was, was flying past it. And the pelican snatched onto the, uh, the lorikeet's head. You know which, what, what sort of bird I'm talking about? The really pretty, beautiful birds, yeah. The, so the pelican like just clamped on, on the lorikeet's head, but then let go. And then, so this is still happening in the air. The lorikeet is still perched on, on, on the beak of this massive you know, mouth of this pelican. It's just perched there, but its neck had been broken and its neck was sitting at a full 90 degree angle. Um, yeah, 90 degree angle. And it was just, just there. And it was, it was just stunned. It was just there. And the pelican just sat there with its, its beak completely just open and just waited. And I'm watching this from the ground and it was, it was traumatising to watch. And I'm like, fly away, go. Fly, fly now, fly. 
All right, you might be, you know, just, but just fly, like move. And the pelican just waited. And then the lorikeet voluntarily walked into the pelican's mouth. At this point in the dream, I didn't know that pelicans were like cannibals, but they are. They eat pigeons apparently. Anyway, that's a bit of trivia for you on the side. Um, but it really traumatised me. Now, I think there are many layers to that dream and I think, you know, a part of it speaks of, you know, um, the, the church just, just giving in. And anyway, I'm not gonna go into that now. But what he wanted me to bring, the layer that he wanted me to bring tonight was around that the whole concept of the cause and effect of trauma. That the pelican could have completely destroyed the lorikeet in one, one bite, one, one gulp. But all it did was strategically break the neck. Okay? And the bird was stunned, it was just, just there. And something happened to that bird. It lost all of its senses. It forgot its ability to fly. That's what it felt like watching. If I was David Attenborough and I was, if I was, you know, a bit of commentation, I, that's what I'd be saying. It seems like the bird's forgotten to fly, like, you know. And then he just went straight into the pelican's mouth. That is the cause and effect of trauma. That is our reality sometimes. And I believe that the reason why the Lord wanted me to share that tonight is because I believe that some people here identify with this rainbow lorikeet. So what I wanna do, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna read out a list of things that we can attach what I've been talking about tonight, that what we can attach it to. If, if any of this speaks to any of you, I'd love to pray for you. And I'm sure the team would love to come and pray for you. But, so I just want you to just, uh, just you know what, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Okay, come on. I'm just gonna read out a list. And this is the list that I felt like the Lord gave me for tonight. If you feel like that rainbow lorikeet, or if you feel like you've made a covenant with fear, if you feel as though you've hardened your heart and not allowed the love of the Lord to permeate throughout, if you feel convicted that a part of your heart is in rebellion or you've traded your value or you've bent towards building on that which has no value, building unto self as opposed to building unto the Lord, or if you feel like you don't have a healthy fear of the Lord. I really feel like that there is a, an invitation tonight, especially the fact that it was confirmed through the tags, I found that really encouraging. I was like, what does it mean to invite the fear of the Lord into a place and do I wanna do that? But I believe heaven's saying yes. So if that speaks to anyone, and if you would like us to partner with you in that, I'm just gonna ask that you stand up and just receive that tonight.
I'm going to lead you through a very simple prayer. And then I'm going to come around. I'm just going to lay hands in agreement with you. Very, very simple. So repeat after me. Holy Spirit, I acknowledge that one or more things on that list resonate with me. I acknowledge that I have been building in my own ways, that I have created a landing place for trauma to be perpetuated in my life. Well, that a part of my heart has raised itself against the knowledge of You. Or that a part of my heart has not been available to You because Your love permeates. So I choose now to come out of agreement with a covenant of death. I choose now to break the bonds of the terms and conditions of what that captivity has outlined for me. And I invite You, Holy Spirit, in this season, to begin a work a baptism even of the spirit of the fear of the Lord Christina's coming round um, just to lay hands on those people specifically. If the rest of the people here and maybe the people watching on live stream would like to grab your communion, we feel like it's just so fitting to do communion on the back of that amazing message. Such a powerful, but such a simple truth. That love for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame. That we would be the joy set before Him. And that love hung on a cross. 
dove descended into the depths and then ascended into the heavens. So Lord Jesus, we just acknowledge that you are love. We thank you that love chose to love us. He says that we love, but he first loved us. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you that as we partake of communion tonight, that there would be a realm of your perfect love that would be awakened within us, even a realization, a revelation of your unfailing, perfect love that continually permeates our world, pursues us, protects us.
so I just I just really felt as we were just sitting in there in the presence and taking communion that there have been things that the Lord has spoken to you, different ones. I know even to me personally this morning, it's just like these little things and like we haven't been quick to obey. You know, we just kind of push it aside like, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it later, da 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 But I really feel like, you know, when we were young in the Lord, we were so quick to obey, like whatever the Lord was saying, whether it was pick up the piece of trash or, you know, or help clean up or whatever, like we were so quick to obey. And it's that fear of the Lord that comes that quickens our hearts to make us that knee-jerk reaction to be quick to obey whatever the Lord is telling us to do, whether it's reading a chapter of the Bible or picking up a piece of trash or just whatever it is, that our, our love and that fear of the Lord, that healthy, beautiful, clean fear of the Lord would just be restored back to our hearts. And so Father, Lord, I pray right now for every single person in this room God, I ask, God, that we would be tender, God, to your voice. God, that we would be a people that are quick to obey. God, no matter what it is, God, the smallest of things, God, to whatever it is that you're calling us into, God, that we would have a yes in our hearts. Father, give to us the gift of the fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name. just going to land right now but if that word spoke to you on the back of what Chris, Christina just said the administration of that thank you for praying Daniel I'd like you to stand to your feet because actually that's a it's a shift of heart posture I'm talking specifically about things that the Lord has spoken to you about and you've you know nudged it away you, you haven't been if that speaks to you and I'm sure it'll be many people I mean we're, we're all on a journey with God but if it's if there has been a significant I actually feel like it's a manifestation of re, a little bit of rebellion remember Christina said you got a little bit of this a little bit of that and most people are like mm -hmm, got a little bit of Esau got a little bit of Eve got a little bit of um all right no one here just me then and and but 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 I just felt like there is this thing where when the Lord has been impressing something specifically what Danielle just said that there's been this this I'll do that later I whereas before there was a place of immediate obedience and I want to encourage you if that speaks to you directly please do stand up and I'll just lead you in a prayer and you can just feel that right now that's on the back of that message there is something that the Lord is saying he, he's literally it's literally a divine exchange and the Lord is saying I want your heart back I want part of your heart back. So, so I'll just I'll just pray for you guys. Just let's just I'll just lead you in a prayer. Just say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I repent for any time that I've chosen my own way rather than yours. Where you.
there's no such thing as radical obedience. There's only obedience or not obedience. You can't be radical in the, the process of that. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I think I'm just going to pray over everybody. I believe this for everybody. Father, in the name of Jesus, we choose to be a people marked by, by obedience. We acknowledge that being obedient to your voice, obedient to your prompting is the only way that we access the fullness of the life that you died for us to have. So we choose to access the fullness of that sacrifice by saying yes to being or becoming an utterly obedient people, obedient to your prompting, obedient to your voice and yielding consistently and daily to the fear of the Lord. We say yes. seeing this um, picture of a massive chasm and what the picture is saying is that it's still too far it's still out of reach it's still too late if that's anyone here that's a lie that that's the enemy hooking in desperately if that's if that is anyone I'd, I'd love to come and pray
so good. And just before we go, I just want to I just want to ask everyone to stand. Well, I really want to. That was such a word in season, especially on the back of revival. And how many of you know that God is marking us as a people, not just for a visitation, but for a habit that we would be a habitation of the Lord, that South Australia would be a place of habitation. But how many of you know that the fear of the Lord must go first? And we are a people. Everyone say, we are a people born to live in the fear of the Lord and joy. Let me tell you this right now. There was a word released in about 2008 by a prophet called James Gott. And he said, at the very end of time, of earthly time, the marker in the atmosphere around the church would be the spirit of the fear of the Lord and joy mixed as a wine. And let me tell you this right now, that God wants to pour out it pour out in this place. I believe that we're a first fruits of something. He wants to pour out a new level in our hearts of the fear of the Lord mixed with joy. How many people want that? Well, let me tell you this, it's gonna be super fun and super interesting at the same time. How many people love fun and interesting? That's our way of saying, get ready for some very, very interesting stuff. Okay, so everyone just put your hands out just to receive right now. And everyone together say, Father, we receive a new level in our hearts of the fear of the Lord and the joy of heaven. Pour it out right now into my heart. I want to be filled with the joy of heaven and marked by the fear of the Lord. So right now, we thank You for a release. I'm just gonna pray this right now. Father, we thank You for a release of the joy of heaven into the hearts of people. Father, I thank You that we are a people, there it is right there, that we are a people born for joy, that we are a people marked for significance, that we are a people marked by the fear of the Lord. And right now we thank You for the joy of heaven pouring out in this place in the Name of Jesus. Father, we thank You that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So Father, we thank You that the strength comes right now from <laughs> the joy of the Lord. So Father, we, we thank You right now. We choose to drink that in. We choose to drink, just take a drink right now of the joy of the Lord. You can just lean back, you can do it however you want. We're gonna, not gonna do like a barrel. But let me tell you this right now, you can drink it however you wanna drink it, but it's a mixture of the fear of the Lord and joy that the Lord wants to pour out into the heart. There it is right there. Woo! Father, we thank you right there. You know that joy is the serious business of heaven. You know that's true. How many of you? How many of you want to take the nations with a, with a solemn heart and full of sorrow? We're going to take the nations now. Or how many people want to take it drunk on the new wine from heaven, 
filled with the fear of the Lord, filled with the joy of heaven, equipped with the weapons of warfare, peace, righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. We are an army on the move who are led by the fear of the Lord and driven by the joy of heaven. In Jesus' Name. And everybody said, let's give the Lord a shout. Come on. Come on. And let's thank Christina for an amazing word. So, so good. Thank you, live streamers. We'll see you later. Give the live streamers a wave. Bless you guys.